That's okay, because the pressure's not on me. Yeah, we'll start there. Um, so this series on James has been very difficult for me. Partly because I missed three-fifths of the lessons, and I'm one-fifth of them, so you can do that math. Um, and that bothers me for a couple of reasons. One is because I actually want to hear what the Lord is sharing. Um, and the other one is because I'm proud of the fact that I want to show up and not be the guy who just swoops in and delivers a message and then goes away, right? And so as part of this process, I have to lay some of that down. And that's uncomfortable for me, which is perfect for James 5. Um, <laughs> My journey to this point has been much like the traffic coming in from Antioch to Smyrna tonight. There have been unexpected stops and turnoffs and reroutes. And so on my way back from work tonight from Franklin, I got all the way to the end of a road. It's like, I don't know, two miles long or something, accident at the end of the road right before the intersection. So I got to go back. And then I got to figure out how to get onto Nolansville at 5 p.m., right? And then I got to get back home. And then on our way here, we end up rerouting twice. I'm pretty sure there was an accident somewhere. I don't know. Um, but it was, it was a challenge. And that's been sort of my journey to this point, which is awesome, right? <laughs> um, because I remember Pastor Wayne teaching me that the Bible says that we go through the valley of tears and we make it a place of springs. And then the rains come and they fill that. And so I believe that God has a word for us tonight. And it's a, it's a word that I'm not quite sure what it is. If I were Scott right now, I would have a handout for you. But tonight my handout would be blank. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak something to you. And I believe it may not come by my voice. I, uh, Catherine knows I've been preparing for this for some time off and on. And it's been really hard. I've not felt like the, God, like the Lord has given me any clarity. I've struggled through a few small Greek studies trying to understand what words mean. And I've struggled through trying to make the notes make sense and trying to structure the talk. And I didn't have any peace. And see, for me, that's the key. Because even though my charge from Pastor Barbie was to do my homework, and I believe I have, and to come with something well-prepared. I don't want to come with something that makes me look good yeah. if it's my words. Yeah. I would rather look the fool and have that be a word from God. Yeah, so tonight we're going to go with that. I, I do believe that God has given me some things to share. Um, and, and I'm going to try and share those as best I can. Um, we're going to spend some time in the Word tonight. We're probably going to meander a little bit as I continue to try to hear from God what he's trying to speak to us. James, as I've shared before, is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. It's also one of the books that many, many people throughout history have wanted to throw out of the Bible because they believed that James was opposed to a gospel of grace. But I believe James's message to us is really two things. One, 
it matters so very much what and who you believe. And two, if you believe it, it will impact what you do. See, we, uh, we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life, and that's true. But what we don't understand is what goes into the word believe. See, that word believe, I'm sorry I'm not a scholar, but that word believe, I know that it means more than just, yeah, that sounds right. It means we believe with every fiber of the submission of our beings, right? See, we can say that I believe something. We can say things like, I believe that if I don't pay my taxes, that the government will come and get me. We can say that I believe that if I speed, I may get a speeding ticket, but we still speed. I'm sure nobody here cheats on their taxes, and if they do, don't tell me, right? But, but we do these things, and it's because one of two things. Either we don't believe we'll get caught this time, or we believe that the consequences aren't sufficient to make it worthwhile to abide by it. And I believe that there are things that we believe a little bit that God wants to tweak. I believe that God has healing in this room tonight. I believe God has provision in this room tonight. I believe that God has release and freedom from oppression in this room tonight. And I also believe that not all of that is for this room. But we'll get to that in a little while, I hope. Of all the chapters in the book of James, chapter 5 is my least favorite. I know, awesome, right? And I'll tell you why. Because so much of what I see in James 5 is contrary to my experience. And so it's hard to deal with. As I was studying for this, I brought that to God and he said, that's okay. Because he has a plan for us tonight. And we'll get into James, but before we do, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation the reason I say that I believe that there is healing and freedom in this room tonight is because the Word of God is in this room tonight. It has nothing to do with me. From James 4, Jesus, reading from the prophet Isaiah, says, The Spirit of the, of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are, who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Word of God, that's what his ministry was, and that's what the ministry of the Word is in our lives. So as we walk through the Word tonight, I believe that God has for us good news for the poor, liberty for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and by corollary, healing for the infirm, liberty for the oppressed, and a proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. As Ernie was sharing on Sunday, actually as he was walking up to share on Sunday about communion, which is how I know it was God and not him, um, I went to the, the passage in Malachi. And we, we all know this one, but you know, how have we robbed you by not bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse? So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is where I want to pick up. 
I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul and your vine in the field will not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I want to focus on that rebuking the devourer thing. Does anybody want the devourer rebuked? I do. I want the things that happen when the devourer is rebuked. See, let's think for a second. What does the devourer eat? Right? What's the devourer? In fact, I'll take a show of hands if somebody wants to answer something. What is the devourer eating? Everything. See, the devourer eats the fruit, right? The fruit of our labor, the fruit of the soil, the fruit of, the, the fruit of everything. But there's something, see that fruit, that's our sustenance, that's our joy, that's the bread that we eat, that's our, that's our party. But there's something in that fruit that's also God. It's the seed, right? I believe that the Lord would, would rebuke the devourer on our behalf for the provision for now and the seed for the future, whether it's a crop that we harvest or not. See, some things take a minute to grow, right? If, if just to go with animals, right? Bunnies, you get a new one like every 20 seconds, right? <laughs> Gerbils, hamsters, little tiny animals, you get a whole bunch of them very quickly. Elephants, you get one every, what, three years, something like that. I can't remember the gestation period, but it's a really long time, right? So some things that we plant take a minute to grow. But for that to happen, we have to have the seed. And for for us to have the seed, we have to have no devourer, or the devourer has to be rebuked. Now, the question I'd bring to you, though, is who's the devourer? Who is God going to rebuke? See, we think he means the enemy, right? Right? And he does, but that doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. See, there's more than one thing that devours our fruit and our seed. We, we look to external things as the devourer. We say, well, the government's taking it all away, or business is taking it all away, or this thing is taking it all away, or this is taking it all away. Many times, and I say this pointing at myself, we devour our blessing and we devour our future blessing. And I believe that's part of what God is going to bring us in James 5. And so I say that to to lay a foundation. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 and then we'll talk about that for a little bit and then We may pause for a second to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're just going to try and figure out what he's doing here. So as as I was preparing for this, I I get a little crazy sometimes. I think, man, what if the battery goes dead? I wish they made one that didn't have a battery. Pastor Wayne, they make them, right? You fold them open, you flip the pages. (laughs) Turns out they do. But all all my notes are here, so we're, we're stuck with this. So from James 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed in your fields, which you have held back by fraud. 
are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So why did I start, out, start by talking about money? Because James does. So the, question, the first question I would pose you from the text is, who's the rich? It says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries, right? So who's the rich? See, we think, because our perspective's all jacked up, we think the rich is Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or insert name of rich person here, right? Anybody but us, because we're the one, we're the 99%, they're the one, right? Well, let me tell you, I did some research because I'm a nerd. In the world's economy, using money as an indicator, on average, everybody in the U.S. is in the top one-third of one percent, right? The average monetary income in the world converted to U.S. dollars is just over $10,000 a year, all right? Now, it's fun how that works, right, because that's the average, but if you earn the average, you're in the top 16% off the charts right there, right? Because the, the way these things, sorry, you guys got a statistician tonight. So the way these things work is some people have a whole bunch and a whole bunch of people have almost nothing. And so that means the average is right down here, right? But only a few people are here and a whole lot of people are here, right? So if you think about it, poverty level in the U.S. for a single person is considered to be about ten dollars to $11,000 a year. That means a poverty-stricken person living in the U.S., is at the average for the world, and they're still in the top 16%. Now, I'm not saying it's easier to live here on that. I understand cost of living. I'm just laying this out there for perspective. We are the rich, right? We think we're not, but we are. So then the question becomes, have we laid up treasures in the last days? I don't have that answer for you, but I have that answer for me. See, there are things that I like, right? Well, actually, let's, let's back up a little bit. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Do you, know, do you understand what that means? So it's talking about literal physical things that are, have rotted and are moth-eaten. So if we think about garments, I kind of like, I like to look good. I mean, I'm, I'm actually wearing hand-me-downs, but that's irrelevant. I like to look good, right? We like to have things. We like to put things on to put on a show. We like to cover things so that we look good. But the Lord is saying that those things are moth-eaten, that people see right through all of that. The Lord is also saying that our gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against us. Now, does anybody, have you ever thought about gold corroding? See, silver tarnishes, but gold doesn't corrode. And scripture, so scripture is saying that a thing that doesn't happen is happening, right? That this gold is corroding. All of these things that we've stored up are corroding. All of this stuff that we trust in, people see right through that. But this is where the life is, right? So I've been struggling to find the life in this because I can bring teaching, right? What I want is to bring life. It says that their corrosion will be evidence against us and will eat up our flesh like fire. Now, we think about that as being that clothes catch on fire and they burn us, right? But the word that is used there for flesh 
doesn't mean skin. It doesn't only mean skin. It means the natural man. It means the man without divine intervention. It means the part of us that is opposed by God. So as we see all of these things in our lives falling apart, and they will, whether we see them in this life or the next, they will. As we do, that, that sarks, that flesh part of us is burned away. And see, that's where the life is because as that's burned away, then God can replace that with his life. We'll, we'll get on to the next part in just a second. I would also submit to you that this laying up treasure thing means that we might be investing in things of value, but we might not be investing in things of eternal value. And so even if the gold and the silver and the clothes and all of that stuff remain for the entirety of our lives, I wonder what happens when we step into eternity and realize what could have been, right? In Revelation, Scripture talks about a time when God, when God will dry every tear on our eyes. And I've always thought that that would be us mourning over sin or over loved ones that are lost or things like that. I wonder if that's also mourning over lost opportunity. After missed chances to exalt the king of the universe, to display his glory and his splendor, whether in word or in deed, whether in our lives or by investing in the lives of other people. And I have this sense, at least from my own life, and this probably doesn't apply to you guys, so just pay attention for your neighbors, right? Because they're probably the ones that need this. Um, that maybe there's a missed opportunity. That maybe God is calling us higher, not because he wants us to give more or to suffer more or to sacrifice more. See, in our culture, we, we venerate sacrifice and we exalt success, right? We go, oh, look, what all, look at what all they gave up. See, God doesn't do that. He says obedience is better than sacrifice, and he'd have, rather have faithfulness than success any day. And so he's not calling us to give up things as though we would sacrifice them. He's calling us to invest them for a greater return. As you were singing the Matt Redmond tune tonight, I don't know why I'm focused on Pastor Wayne tonight, but you're the big winner. As you were singing the Matt Redmond, I kept thinking back to the heart of worship, right? When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to, be, to bring something that's of worth, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. See, in my life, in my practical living out life, I'm on a journey of making it all about him, but I ain't there yet. And I believe God is calling us all higher that it would be about him, not, not for the purpose of giving things up. Please hear my heart. This isn't about giving up stuff. It's not about not enjoying the things that he's given us because he's given us things to enjoy with him. It's about that connection and that relationship with God. Then the scripture says, behold, you've the wages against of the laborers that have mowed your fields, which you have held back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the, uh, I guess I have to actually read it. I'm starting to get old, so my eyes don't see as far. There's a vision thing right there. For real, there's, there's a vision thing right there. 
if you don't see as far in the spirit, maybe it's time to be renewed. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you held back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not, he does not resist you. Has anybody defrauded somebody that works in your fields? I'd like to thank Scott for reminding me of this. See, um, there is oppression in the world. And some of it benefits us. See, we, we want to save 50 cents on a bag of coffee, right? But we don't consider the seven-year-old boy who's climbing a tree with a machete and nothing to protect him, who, has no, who doesn't even earn a livable wage and his dad is dead. Right? We don't consider that and we don't want to look at it. We don't consider that even though if something has a label that says made in the USA doesn't mean it wasn't made by slave labor. And we don't want to look into those things. I don't want to look into those things because it's hard. It means I might not get what I want. It, might, it means I might have to pay more for something. It means that if I'm in charge of a business, we might choose to not outsource to a country who so desperately needs the income, but yet treats their laborers poorly. Now, I know that there's a lot of stuff going around with you know, fair trade and all of these various things, and every one of those is, of course, at its core, trying but flawed. But I believe that God is calling us to consider that. I don't know that God is calling us to boycott anything. I can't bring that to you. What I can bring to you is that God is calling us to consider the plight of the worker and how we should be involved in that. See, the gospel is practical. When Jesus came to proclaim sight to the blind, every once in a while he maybe bent down a little bit and made some mud and stuck it on some guy's eye. Sometimes he simply prayed, I can't tell you how you should be involved. I, I'm not even sure how I should be involved because I'm still dealing with this. All I know is it's real and it matters. I would also submit to you that there's the possibility that we have shortchanged the spiritual laborers in the fields. That God might have an investment for us to make in their lives that we haven't made because we've been busy with our big screen TV. And that maybe there's a harvest that we're missing out on. God's not missing out on the harvest. He's going to get the harvest. His word happens. But we might be missing out on it. Now, I'm not saying this to in any way manipulate you or to have you make a decision in your own power. I'm actually saying this because I'd like for you to take it to the Holy Spirit and, and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How should this impact my life? What should I do? How can I be involved with what you're doing? Because, see, our tendency is to look at something and go, what can I do? But God's call is always to him. And so the response is actually, how can I come with you on this? So I'd like to pause here for just a second. If, if you're taking notes on my blank sheet of paper that I didn't know what God was going to tell you, you might be writing down right now things that God is speaking to you, things that you might start caring about, things that he might be asking you to reinvest somewhere else. But we'll, let's just pray for a second. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your life. 
Holy Spirit, thank you for your conviction. We ask that you would move in our lives, that you would reveal to us areas where you would have us change, areas where you're working. Lord, we ask that our eyes would be open to the plight of the oppressed, that our hearts would be open to investing in your kingdom, and that we would recognize the beauty that is you, that our hearts would be about you, Lord. None of this stuff is really about the stuff. It's all about you. So, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us each person, about what you would have for us. So that was a pick-me-up. I have one follow-up question. I wasn't sure I was going to ask this. But it's a question to consider. How would God rebuke the devourer on your behalf in this area, in the area of finances, in the area of storing up treasure, and in the area of oppression? I don't have your answer. So, yeah, we have time. We'll move on. Next fun part in James 3, so James, or James 5, rather. James 5 is organized into three general sections, at least by the people that edited it and put in chapter numbers and all that fun stuff. So we're going to go with the next big session, section, which is patience in suffering. So, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So, anybody suffering? You don't have to raise your hands unless you want to, but I'm good if you do. Scripture is so beautiful here. It says, hang on, let me read it again. Oh yeah, be patient. Not what I wanted to hear. It says, you also be patient, Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, we like to say that we live in a microwave society, right? That um, for us, we want everything fast, but we forget that that is the human condition, that nobody wants to remain in suffering. And yet many times God's most perfect work is done in our lives as we suffer. See, we open up James chapter 1 with rejoice when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience so let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect and complete isn't that awesome rejoice in suffering I'm not there yet are you how about patient Catherine was I patient tonight no not so much awesome yeah I also wasn't patient today at work see I had things that I wanted to get done I have an agenda and I have a timeline, and I have expectations, and I like to be the captain of my own ship, 
even if I run it onto rocks because I wasn't paying attention to the tide. And the word would tell us that we should be patient, that maybe we shouldn't fight amongst each other. Sorry, babe. Um, See, the word speaks to all of us. And then remember that we actually consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Now let's go to Hebrews 11. Beautiful chapter of all the fun people in the Bible, right? So Job. Yeah, that's not who I want to be. Abraham. Not so sure I want to be there. How about the people that got sawed in half? Or all of the people who died waiting for the promise. See, they were patient. And here I am with the promise and I want it now. I don't have any specific stories other than the fact that it's been that way all my life. Might have been yours, I don't know. Maybe you, well, you're probably the patient ones. It's your neighbors you know, or the guy that's behind you when you're driving. I know it's the guy behind me when I'm driving. Um, also, the guy in front of me is a lot more patient than you might expect. I haven't figured that one out yet either. Yeah, is it you? You're the slow driver? I'd like to talk to you later. <laughs> so, one other question I have for you is, is, if you have this place of suffering in your life, if you have this, in fact, we'll just expand this to struggling. If you have an area where you're struggling, you're taking it to God. And I don't mean taking it to God like my kids asking me, asking me why when they really want treats and I've already told them no, right? I mean taking it to God and said, why? Because if we come to God with a pure heart, he may not give us an answer, but, but even his rebuke is better than nothing. I came to a point in my life, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, where I decided I would rather be real with God and have him rebuke me and put me in my place and trust him to do that than to pretend that everything was good and, you know, well, to be blunt, watch my words. Right? I mean, I try not to be crass or rude, but I'm not afraid to ask God why. Because the psalmist did. And he's a model for me. There's all kinds of places in Scripture where the psalmist goes, what is up? Right? Why are these people trying to kill me? I'm, <laughs> to, I'm anointed the king, but I'm not the king yet, and these people are trying to kill me. I know you're going to get me there, but why are they trying to kill me? Why do I have to be pretending to be a crazy person with all the joy that comes with that to stay alive? And he, he brings us to God. And then, you know, in the Psalms, it, it all reads like one song, right? So he starts with complaining and he ends with, but I will trust God. But we don't know at what point the Holy Spirit started interacting with his life and said, dude, you need to switch this one around. I'm not even sure sometimes when he does that to me, you know, when I bring him to God. Because sometimes, I mean, I'm not quite as quick as the psalmist. Of course, we don't know how long it took him to write those songs. He could have been in there for days. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. First Peter also reminds us that we should not consider it strange when we come to a fiery trial. So scripture is full of places where we should go, oh, wait a minute, suffering's part of this. Shucks, you want to throw it out there? How about the cross? That was a winner. Anybody want to do that? I don't. I'm glad I don't have to. I'm glad that Jesus did that. I don't know what to say about that. I don't want to sound glib, but I don't even know how to approach that other than to believe it. So my question, I'll restate it, is, is there an area where you're suffering? 
I believe that God gave me a couple of things for you to consider as you bring that to, to God. One is, is God working something of eternal value in your life? And I believe that if his word is active in your life, that he is. Right? Because the word accomplishes what it will. The other thing I would ask you is, if at this particular moment, you happen to be at a point of strength. See, the scripture talks about being steadfast. So if you happen to be at a point of strength, then ask yourself, what can I do? What can I order about my life to set myself up to remain steadfast when I'm not feeling steadfast? So for me, up until they started providing free snacks at work, that involved only taking healthy foods with me. Now I'm kind of in a weak spot again because I wanted to lose weight because I want to look good in these clothes, right? Oops, moth eaten. Um, but we can do those kinds of things in our lives, right? I don't know that I'm going to put a governor on my car because, you know, there might be an instance where I need to be able to do 90. I don't know. You know, someday that could happen. It hasn't yet. But, you know, th there are these things in our lives where we know that there's a place of weakness. What are the things that we can do to remain steadfast? There are these places in our lives where when we get to a point of suffering, it's very easy to, I'm just going to throw out some stuff that none of us deal with, gossip, or complain to somebody else, or grumble, or start fighting with people, right? So we, we don't do those, so those are fine. We'll pick our own stuff. But what can we do in our lives to do that? And I have a couple of suggestions. One is don't buy candy if you struggle with that. Right? I work for a candy company, so it's kind of lost for me. Um, another one is develop the habit of doing the right thing when you're strong. Right? Practice doing the right thing when you're in the moment so that when you feel weak, it has become more automatic to do the right thing. This isn't disassociating ourselves from the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because it's still the Holy Spirit that works in, it, in us. It's in Him and through Him that we live and move and have our being. It's through God that all of this happens. But God hasn't called us to be dumb, right? God hasn't called us to turn off our brains and go, I will trust God in the moment if He's already given us a plan that He says, you can trust me and by the way, do this. We see this in finances all the time, which is why I think God talks about finances because we understand those, right? So we understand that if I spend $1, I no longer have $1 to spend on something else. That's called opportunity cost, right? And so if we want to develop the habit of saving so that we have something later so that we can buy, I don't know, instead of buying a CD, we want to buy a CD player. I don't know. I'm just using examples here, right? We have to begin practicing in some form, not doing this, but doing this so we can have this. Right? And that's the way it works in our spiritual lives as well. We go, I want to be patient in suffering, and for me that looks like not complaining. So when things are going well, I'm going to practice not complaining. I'm going to practice putting myself in a habit of being grateful. I'm perhaps going to get a journal and every day write down things that I'm grateful for so that on the days when I'm not so grateful, I can do one of two things. I can either have the habit of being grateful, or I can op open up my book and go, well, here are 30 pages of things that I used to be grateful for. Perhaps one of these will still work. I'll pause for a second in case the Holy Spirit wants to say something while I've shut up. The last one, the prayer of faith. This one breaks my heart. 
because I don't see it in my life very much, and I don't see it in the North American church very much. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. We talked about that. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any of you among, them, among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any one, of you, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner will, from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See, I, I believe that God wants to heal some people. I really do. But we have to accept that for that to happen, that some of us have to be sick, and none of us want to be sick. I'm not t- t- saying that we should go pursue sickness. Please don't, don't go there. I believe that God wants to proclaim liberty to the captives. But for that to happen, someone has to be captive. I believe that God wants to proclaim sight to the blind. But for that to happen, someone has to be blind. And for any of this to happen in a way that involves us requires that we step out in faith and pray. And see, that's really hard because I don't see a whole lot of healings in the church. I see some, and I'm happy about that. That's, that's wonderful. I don't see a whole lot of healings when I'm walking around and I see someone in the grocery store who has a broken arm. And very seldom do I even feel an unction to consider asking the Holy Spirit whether or not I should go pray for them. I don't mean this to be heavy, and if it is, I apologize. That's not my heart here but I think that we've believed a lie. See, I think that we've believed that our prayer isn't enough. I think that we've believed that it's somebody spiritual who sees these things happen. We believe that only in a developing world are people healed because we have medicine. Only in a developing world are people released from oppression because we have money. Yet we walk around in various states of unhealth all the time. And to be blunt, many of us walk around serving a slave to money a lot of the time. So this thing that we think we have so much of, we say to ourselves, I have no need. Right? Like, like the writer of Revelation Like John says, we look at ourselves and we go, I'm good. And the Lord says, don't you know that you're naked? That that people see right through this? Don't you know that you're actually sickly? And see, I think this can speak to any culture in a different way, but I think it speaks to ours in these ways. Because we do have money. We've, you know, 
average income in the U.S. is fifty-three-ish thousand dollars a year. It's the top one-third of one percent in the entire world. Average income in Smyrna is fifty-five-ish, top one-third of one percent in the entire world, right? And yet, we work fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty hours a week. We sacrifice family and friends, health, at the altar of money. My heart isn't that we wouldn't have money. My heart is that we would have God and his blessing. See, scripture also says that the Lord blesses and he adds no trouble to it. I had that in my notes before, but what, <laughs> I rewrote them this morning at lunch because I just didn't have any peace about what I felt like I was sharing. And so um, that one's not in there anymore, but scripture talks about that, right? That the Lord blesses and he adds no trouble to it. So I would ask you, as you look in your lives, are there places where you don't have peace? And are there places where you have blessing, but there's trouble added to it? See, God didn't add the trouble. Not saying the blessing wasn't from God, something added the trouble. So either the blessing wasn't from God and trouble came with it, or it was God's blessing and somehow trouble got added. Maybe God blessed, I'm just saying maybe God blessed us with something and we decided we wanted to turn it into more. See, that's where the trouble comes in a lot of times. So that was a real pick-me-up, wasn't it? I believe that God wants to rebuke the devourer. But we have to realize that means that there has to be an active devourer. There's got to be something out there trying to devour we also have to recognize that sometimes that's us. Whether we've accepted a, um, a belief system that's not of God or whether we have accepted God's belief system when we're just living in a different way. We can be the devourer. I believe that God wants us to prosper in all things, particularly eternal things. But in order to do that, we have to accept his rule in our lives. See, scripture talks about Jesus in a number of different ways. You know, he's the older brother. He's the firstborn among all creation. Jesus is also the king. See, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name. He deserves our worship. And this hurts me to say because he doesn't always get my worship. He deserves our obedience and he doesn't always get my obedience. He deserves our passion and he doesn't always get that from me. We could say that he deserves our sacrifice, but rather than that, he'd like to have our obedience. He deserves our success. It's all his anyway, but what he really wants is our faithfulness. I believe that God wants us as a body and as the church universal to stand against fraud and oppression because there are people whose deliverance from God might come through us. And I mean that as spiritual deliverance, and I also mean that literal deliverance from physical oppression. I also believe that God wants to heal. But we have to be willing to step out in faith to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't mean step out in faith as in assume that everybody that we see is supposed to be prayed for because Jesus didn't do that, right? If he's our model, there were times when he didn't heal people. There are times when he left areas where people were sick. 
So it's all about following the Holy Spirit. And finally, I believe that God wants to call back the prodigals. This means a lot to me because I was one, right? But somebody had to go after me, right? And yeah, it was my parents praying for me and speaking into my life, but there were other people. I don't know if I shared all the names of people who impacted my life from this body before I came back, but Sean Steckbeck was one. He worked for me at McDonald's, and all the time he was telling me about the amazing things that God was doing in his life, and I kind of despised that at the time because it hurt, right? I considered myself a Christian. I wasn't really living that way, but he kept at it, and 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 his work in my life has covered a multitude of sins. Not his work in place of God, right? Not his work in place of the work of the Holy Spirit and the gift of Jesus Christ, but his work in my life allowed me to be open to that. If you guys want to come up, I'll just pray quickly and then I think we'll be done. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. You're wonderful, you're gracious, you are kind. Even your rebuke that brings repentance is a gift from you. Lord, I ask that as we go through our days and our weeks and our months and our years that there would be a continual gnawing in our lives around our actions and our attitudes toward wealth and indulgence and oppression. I ask that you would expand our vision to see healing, that you would expand our faith, that you would guide and guard our paths. And I also ask that you would expand our vision and our sensitivity toward those who are wandering from the faith, wandering from truth. Lord, not to condemn, but that through what you do in our lives, they might have life. Amen. Can I ask you to stand, please? Oh, okay. Yes, ma'am. Since it is the last night, would all of the lions come down? And would you guys just come in behind them and let's pray for them? Anybody that'll come out of the seats, let's just let's just pray for them. That God would strengthen them, that God would encourage them, that He would continue to. You guys, come on down here, all of you. Get right over here and let them just surround you. Some of you can get on this side of them. pray in the spirit for them if you don't mind and let's just just cover them tonight father we bless you and we thank you for these men of god we thank you father for the seed that is on the inside of them we thank you for the word that you have planted within them now father i ask that you would cover their heads in this day of battle father i pray as they press forward that the glory of the lord would be their rear guard I pray that you would surround them, Father, that you would keep their families. I pray, Father, you would perfect, uh, 
Protect their marriages, Father. Guard their children, Father. I pray that they would always lean into you. I pray, God, that they would continually fan to flame what you've placed on the inside of them. Let them be sound in their doctrine, Father. Let them be passionate in their delivery, Father. I ask that they be steadfast in their walk. Father, that they have integrity in everything that they do. God, I thank you that you have called them to a level of accountability that will cost them. But I thank you, Father God, that you have already paid that price. So, Father, sanctify them, purify them, consecrate them, Father. Draw them towards you, Father. Continually draw them. Surround and keep them, Father. Release your sons to do your bidding, our God. We bless you, Father, for these that you've placed among us. Now raise up others, Father. Let them train and bring those behind them, God. But cover them and keep them. We thank you, Father, for them and the word that they carry. In Jesus' name, they all said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Let's just praise him one more time before we leave. All is said and done And everyone is gone Thank mm-hmm. you.